All right, let's try this again. How you guys doing? Nice. That's awesome. Well, I'm really excited. Really excited to see you guys. Uh, my name's Todd. I'm the pastor here. So let's get something out of the way right now, just in case. You guys told me how you're doing. I'll tell you how I'm doing. So last Sunday, most people at the church know because I whined about it all week, but blew my back out bad. It's like I got shot with a uh, shotgun. So couldn't walk Monday, really most of the week. I'm walking pretty good right now. Right, Tony? Yeah, thanks, man. Uh, but if I end up doing this, th- that's why, because I tend to do this when it hurts. So you can uh, laugh, but keep it very quiet. So if, you, if it is your first time here, you haven't been here in a while, we are in the middle of a series that we call Letters to a Church that my good friend uh, David, who slipped out and ran away, uh, <laughs> he told me not to do that. He, uh, he kind of challenged, he didn't challenge me, he asked me a question. We have, we have good deep talks, and I've, I've said this story before, but he said, Todd, what would it be like if you were writing a letter to this church, to the remnant, and you know, you're going away for a while or whatever, what would you want to say? What are the important things that you'd want to say? And so, man, I knew that was one of those God things where it just stayed in my head, right? And so that's where we're at. And, uh, and over the past few weeks, we've talked about God as our Father and how important that is. Um, we've talked about how free we are. We've talked about that we don't have to live as slaves anymore. We've talked about a lot of things. And um, as I thought about this week, because we're kind of coming to an end for this series, um, this week, this may be it, we'll see, but uh, certainly coming toward the end, I I started thinking about what I would sort of want to wrap this up with, what I want to tell you guys, right? The last chapter of of the book, of the letter. I don't know about you guys, but when I read the Bible... And I, especially the early church, so Acts, I find myself, whether I want to admit it or not, I wouldn't say jealous, but wondering why. Why doesn't it feel that way? Right? Why doesn't it feel that way now? Why doesn't it feel like that the church is this living thing that's just spreading like fire? Because if you read Acts, if you read any of the books in the New Testament, that's what it feels like. It feels like this someone started a fire and it doesn't matter if you try or not it just finds its way to spread everywhere and it feels so living and so vibrant and so real and sometimes when I think about my own faith and I think about my own life and I think about the church both of the capital C and our church right all the various churches does it really feel that way because to me if I'm honest many times church the connotation meaning the feel that it has is more of like going to a PTO meeting Right? Or it's going to your business networking meeting. But that's not what I see, and that's not, that's not a criticism. Because I don't necessarily think it's something we're intending to do, but does anyone else feel that way? Does anyone ever read and say, man, I would love to see God move the way he moved in the, in the New Testament? Yeah, of course. How many times have you heard or told yourself, man, if God would still do this, right? If God would still move like this, if he would show himself to me through me, Show himself to the world in this way. I would never doubt. Man, we could change the world. If he would just show himself this way. Well, here's the thing. First of all, he already did. <laughs> I have a scripture from Acts that kind of, I'll just give you an example. You read it all over, but um, soon after the church started, I don't know if you guys know this, but they, they killed Jesus, right? We killed him, but the religious people killed Jesus. The elite killed Jesus, the people he came to save. And afterwards, they started hating and chasing 
his followers who started telling people about Jesus. So they were persecuting him, arresting him, trying to find some way to justify killing them, which they would eventually do, but finding some way to do that. And so we have Peter. You remember Peter? He was the chicken at first that ran away. Now he's, he's changed. And so in the midst of that, they get arrested by the same Sanhedrin, the same Jewish leaders who killed Jesus, and, and they see these, these religious leaders see them heal someone. So they, they come together and go, what are we going to do here? We, we all saw this guy get healed. How, what, what are we going to do? So they decide, I think they're a little afraid, they come back and go, listen, we're going to let you go. You just can't talk about Jesus anymore. Stop preaching in the name of Jesus. Quit doing it. And they say some pretty cool stuff, but I'm going to skip down to where it talks about Peter and them, they start saying things like, listen, this is what happened, right? Uh, they killed him. They killed Jesus. They killed our father. They're, gonna, they're, they're threatening us, on and on and on. In Acts chapter 4, verses 29 through 31, it says, And now, Lord, as they're praying, they're praying, consider their threats and grant that your slaves, your servants, meaning themselves, may speak your message with complete boldness while you stretch out your hand for healing Signs and wonders to be performed through the name of your holy servant, Jesus. When they had prayed, the place where they were assembled was shaken. And they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak God's message with boldness. Now we already know the Holy Spirit already came to them. Okay, it's reality. So when it says the Holy Spirit, they were filled with it, right? This is, remember these are um, early writers. They're trying to give you an explanation, meaning I like to view it this way. That water started bubbling. Right, That water started moving and bubbling and started empowering them. It said the place was shaken. What if you prayed? What if we prayed during worship or just now we prayed and this whole building shook? All right? What would you do? Oh, you'd be bold, right? Would you? Would you be emboldened then to go out and, and tell people about Jesus to live different? If this place shook, if the, the lights fell, if fire started, what would it take for you to start living and speaking with boldness? I don't know. But when I look at that and I see, I see these people, which by the way, they're not any more special than us. I hate to say it, right? It's the truth, right? They, they are filled with the Holy Spirit. We are filled with the Holy Spirit. Certainly we look at them as examples, they did amazing things, but we are empowered by the same spirit they are. They're not superhumans. They serve a super God. So do you. So when I look at that, that's not the excuse I give myself. Some of you might do that. Some of you might say, well, I'm not Peter. I'm not Paul. But there was a time when Peter was just a fisherman, and Paul was Saul, a murderer. So what's the difference then? The difference isn't God. Let's get that out and open. Can we agree on that? The difference isn't God. God didn't change. So what's the difference? Now certainly before I go on, I like to give my theological addendum here. Certainly God had a purpose at that time to do things a certain way. He had to get the ball rolling, right? He moved in powerful ways to get the ball rolling. I believe that. Meaning the church was just starting, had different needs. But I don't think that was the only difference. I think there is a difference. I think we're missing out on something. I think you are missing out on something. Let me tell you a story that's messed with me for a long time that, that sort of made me realize where the real difference is between me and Paul. And you, you put yourselves on this map. I'll talk for me. This section of Scripture, when I first read it, I'd never heard it talked about. As you guys know, Paul was a Roman citizen. Maybe you didn't know that. So he was a Jew, good Jew, but because he was born there, he was a Roman citizen, born in Rome. He had rights. 
that your typical Jewish person may not have. He could appeal to the Roman authority. So as Paul, Saul became Paul, he started preaching Jesus, they did the same thing. We want to kill this guy. But they couldn't because he appealed to Caesar, meaning I've got rights, you can't kill me. I want my day in court. So they start this, this process where they keep sending him to different people because each person didn't want to be responsible for killing someone that had these rights. Make sense? You with me so far? Give me something. Yeah, thanks. Good. It's one of those days. I can't tell. Here we go. So he ends up going before a king. Now, who's, who do you think is at the top of the food chain in the Roman Empire? It's not the king. I tricked you. There's someone else. Who else? Caesar. You got, Be confident. You know history. Caesar, right? But before that, there's all these little provinci- pro- provincial little kings that rule a section in the name of Caesar. So he goes before a king, finally. And he is telling them he's got to give himself a defense. And as he's giving himself a defense, he starts telling him, he essentially starts preaching to the king. This king who holds his life in his hands. And in, you got to understand, he's in chains. He's a prisoner standing before a judge. Whatever you want to say, his executioner. A pagan. And he's in chains and it says this in Acts chapter 4, verses 28 and 29. 26, not 4. I don't know why I said that. Good thing you caught that, buddy. Acts 26, verses 28 through 29. Then Agrippa, that's the king, after he preaches, said to Paul, are you going to persuade me to become a Christian so easily? Pretty much, come on. I wish before God, replied Paul, that whether easily or with difficulty, not only you, but all who would listen to me today might become as I am, except for these chains. I just got goosebumps again. Did you hear that? That he, in front of them, as a prisoner, you think you're tough, you think you're brave? This man could kill him. He says, you're going to try to preach to me? You're going to try to make me like you? You're, I'm above you. He goes, I wish you were everything like me except for these chains. Here's the difference. There's something here. That's the difference between me and Paul between you and Paul, most of you. I don't want to speak for all of you because I don't think you'd do that. You know how I know? Because you don't do that with your friends. You don't do that with your coworkers because you might offend them, right? I don't either. Paul was bold. Paul was unashamed of who he was, that even in a moment when he could be ashamed, right? You saw him on the front page of the Whitley County arrest. What is that called? You all look at it. Where they tell you who got arrested. What's that called? Yeah, the scan. See, she knows right away. I know exactly what you're talking about. Yeah, Allen County, Whitley County, doesn't matter. You find out who got arrested. There's Paul. And Paul says to you, I want you to be just like me, except for these chains. I believe there's something here. And I believe in these two examples. When I look just in the early church, there's something different. There's there's a hint. Let me ask you a question before we go on. Who would, maybe not all of you would, some of you are content, you know, to be in your, who would honestly, somebody came and said, hey, I'm going to, I'll let you be a world changer today. Who would do that? Raise your hand. You would, you'd volunteer to be a world changer. At least some realistic. Some of you are being honest. You're like, I don't know if I want to be a world changer. That's fine. But those that, yeah, right? Uh, Some days. I think there's a hint here how to do that to how to actually change the world. 
See, before you can change the whole world, you got to change the people surrounding. You got to change your atmosphere. You got to change your environment. You got to be able to impact your sphere of influence. You like that? That's a business term. How do we make impact? How do we live like it's real? Do you want to know? I want to. I want to live like this is real. That's why I get so mad at Christians. I'm one of them. In case some of you may never come again, so I might as well tell you today. I get mad at Christians. I get mad at you. Right? I get mad at me. And the reason is, is because I, I watch you sometimes. Now, before you think I'm watching you today, I don't see you individually usually. usually, But you're sitting there and you're mad at me the whole time. You know, don't you tell me to be unashamed. Right? You're mad at me the whole time because you've heard this 27 times and you think you got it. Which is, there's a reason why God has to repeat himself. Because we always think we got it, but we don't. We don't got it. But I think we could. So let me, you guys may have heard of this verse. It's Paul again, and it's, Rome, it's the book of Romans, chapter 1, verses 15 and 16. He says, so I am eager to preach the good news to you also who are in Rome. I'm, I'm excited to come to you to tell you the good news, for I am not ashamed of the gospel, because it is God's power for salvation to everyone who believes, first to the Jew and also to the Greek and also to the Chinese person, and also to the guy from New York, and also to the Brazilian, and also to the Australian, and also to your next-door neighbor, and also to that smelly guy that lives down the street. He is the power of salvation. The hint here, you got to start here. You want a vibrant, real faith, a church that feels like more than just how long do I have to put in, so that Todd doesn't get a hold of me this week and tell me I haven't been at church? How long do I have to put in? How many times a month can I miss? You want to know the truth? This has to become real to you. But it can't become real to you unless you start living like it's real. And I'm going to tell you this right now. It's not going to be real, and you're not going to live like it's real if you're ashamed. Paul, Peter, the apostles, Jesus... They were unashamed. How do I know that? Because at the end of it, they were willing to die for it. And sometimes, guys, if I'm honest with you, I'm not willing to have my uh, cool persona die. You get what I'm saying? I'm not willing to look uncool. I'm not willing to feel out of place. But I want to be a world changer. I want to be a world changer but I don't even want to be a mood changer. I don't want to make you upset. How am I going to be a world changer if I'm not willing to be a mood changer? I'll tell you a story about how I first noticed how I'm not living unashamed. Really. First time in my life. This was in, I was in seminary at the time, and so you know, I'm surrounded by it. I'm in ministry. I'm kind of in this working in a nonprofit, working with at-risk youth. I'm doing it, right? I'm in the trenches. I'm doing it all. And I went to get my hair cut, and as I'm sitting there talking, there came a moment when they kind of ask what I do, right? What do I do? What do you do? And I just said, oh, I'm going to work in nonprofit. Yeah, I did. That's embarrassing to tell you. And as soon as I said it, as soon as I said it, the first thing I did was like, well, I'm doing this so that they feel comfortable. I don't want to make them feel uncomfortable, right? That's what I told myself. And sometimes, I'm not going to lie to you, sometimes that's true. I don't necessarily go around and say I'm a pastor to everyone I meet right away. They act weird, right? That's the truth. They do. You act weird. If I tell you that, you act weird. 
I don't, that's why I don't like the word. Plus, the standard is way too high, and I cannot meet it. But that's what I told myself. But when I went and got in my car that day and I drove home, I started thinking, like, why did I really do that? Because I wanted to fit in. I didn't want to be, like, I, I, have you ever, I don't know if you've ever been in ministry, been in a situation like that, any of you guys or anything like that, that like people's tone changes. They'll even go, oh, oh, that's, that's neat, right? That's usually what they say. That's, that's neat. And then they get really quiet the rest of the time. And sometimes you just want to have a conversation with someone. But the truth is, I was ashamed. I was ashamed. I didn't want to even be a room changer. But I want to talk and brag about being a world changer. We want to be bold but are afraid to offend or look weird, to not fit in, right? It's going to look weird. Can I tell you a secret? Who wants to know a secret? It's already weird. You're believing in a, in a God-man that died and rose from the dead, right? You're believing that he changed you. You're, you're talking to someone that no one can see. It's already weird. Just embrace it. You know what I'm saying? For real. It is. But listen, being weird doesn't make it any less true. In fact, I like to think that's why God made it so weird. Who's really going to believe? Who's really going to follow? Now, do you understand when Jesus said, the apostles were like, man, we believe in you. He said, you believe me because I fed you. You believe me because you saw miracles. Blessed are those who believe without seeing. We're so, guys, I'm going to be honest, man, like, are, I, I can't even call you out on this. I don't want to because really I'm preaching to myself. Are you really unashamed? Are you? Let me ask you some questions. Do you act different depending on who you're around? Do you be real with yourself? Do you act different depending on who you're around? And I mean if you act, you know, this is where we justify. Well, I don't want to be, you know, I don't want to be a stick in the mud. Do you act different who you're around? When you're around non-Christians, you act completely different. And, and you, maybe, maybe you're one of the ones that maybe you do talk just like them. You drop that language just like them. When they're talking about those ladies, guys, you're right in that conversation with them, right? Ladies, when they're having those discussions about, mm-hmm, well, I don't know whatever you guys talk about. Anyway, you're right there, you're, you're right there in it too, right? You're right there in it too. But let me tell you something. Maybe you're not. Maybe you've made yourself feel better because, no, you don't really say anything. But that's the problem. You don't say anything. You just sit there. And by your silence, you're giving your acceptance. Here's the tricky one. Do you act different depending on which Christian you're around? Because, see, some Christians are sold out. And when you're with them, you're sold out. Hmm, hallelujah. But when you're with the one that says, mm, we don't clap our hands when we worship the Lord, which that's okay. I was kind of making fun of you, but that's okay, right? Either way, you don't want to do that because you don't want to look weird, even though the Holy Spirit's telling you, hey, why don't you bust the move right now, right? I'm serious. That's being ashamed. It is. Maybe you're in a relationship, and when you're with all your friends and your buddies or your girlfriends, you're, you're sold out because they, they are sold out. But when you're with your significant other, that changes because they don't like that. That happens in marriage sometimes, even. Not just girlfriend and boyfriend. That happens in marriage. 
You don't want to fight, so you just give in. It gets exhausting to say, I want to go to church every week. He doesn't want to. She doesn't want to. It gets exhausting to say, I really feel like we should do this. I don't, I, she doesn't want to. He doesn't want to. It's a fight. And so you just quit. Sometimes with Christians too, guys, there's, we're coming to a time, and it's always been this way. Don't let anyone tell you it hasn't, but it's a very interesting time in society. Because you can, something can sound very good. It can sound even loving. Stay with me. But it's not the truth. There can be things that sound loving that society says, this is what love is. And if it's not this, it isn't love. And I'm not even talking about, I'm ta- I'm not even talking about sexual orientation. I'm talking about in general. If you want to love somebody, it looks like this. When the Bible tells us what love really is. Is love diluting the truth to make someone comfortable? If you're gonna, if your best friend is about to walk off a cliff, is loving it, saying, "Hey, that's their life. Let them walk where they want to walk." I don't want to make them upset. That's not love. Love is willing to go to any lengths for what? For the good of that person. No, you can't control what they do. If I tell you, you know, if if Trent's walking off a cliff here and I say don't walk off and he walks off, I mean, I can't make him not walk off. But, but if I don't say anything, then I share some blame there. I do because I knew. But, I can, but am I going to sit and say, nope, I loved him by letting him make his own decision. He should have known. Oof. Do you dilute the truth and stay silent in the face of Scripture being twisted all under the guise of, i got to keep the peace. Do you think being at peace trumps God's desire for truth? That's, that's, a, that's a deep question, right? Do you think more than God desires us, that God desires us to just be buddy-buddy at the expense of truth? No. Sometimes that, sometimes, in fact, in Scripture, guys, I've told you this before, Paul had to go to Peter and say, what are you doing? <laughs> he didn't go to Peter and go, you know what, what you're doing is fine. Go ahead, follow the Jewish laws when you're with the Jews, and when you're not, don't. It's all good. No, the truth. Do you act different when you're alone? When the lights are off, do you act different when you're alone? Then you're being ashamed. You are. Do you live like it's real? Do you live like it's real? I don't all the time. I don't. If I did, then I wouldn't act the way that I do sometimes. I'm not talking about the times that God's still perfecting me. You know, I shoot off at the mouth. You guys, does it shock you guys as times I shoot off at the mouth? That's crazy. Yeah, yeah, I know. It's nuts. I don't know who laughs so hard. Anyway, I sometimes shoot off at the mouth. I'm not talking about that. God's sanctifying me. I'm talking about the times I choose. I willfully choose to do what I want to do. That's being ashamed. It is. Maybe I treat someone differently because I don't like them. Right? That's being ashamed. That's being ashamed. I don't know about you, but I answer yes to too many of those. So when I look at the, at the New Testament church, I say, okay, what do I see? God is still the same. What's the difference between me, you, the people today, and the people in the early church? Well, they lived like it's real, 
and they lived unashamed. You know, Paul, Paul says at the beginning, he says, I'm eager to preach the good news to you. Why? Because I'm not ashamed of the gospel because I know you need it. You're going to die without it. Do you approach it that way? Do you understand that you, again, I'll say this again, if you had the cure for cancer, would you be keeping it to yourself? Then why are you keeping to yourself the only thing that can truly bring real life to people? So how do we act unashamed? How do we live our lives unashamed? What does that mean? What is something we can cling to? I'm going to give you, you guys like lists. Some of you do. Who likes lists? Yeah, good, man. I like the days that I get a list to you guys, I feel really accomplished. I feel like I kind of like I got my homework done that day. <laughs> Which what does that say about all the times I don't have a list? Yeah. So what we're gonna say is how to be unashamed. That's that's your title. I'm gonna tell you how I'm gonna give you three keys and I'm gonna explain them. Three keys to living unashamed. And if you live unashamed, then your faith's going to be real. It's gonna be vibrant. And I truly believe that if the church today would live unabashedly unashamed we're going to do some crazy things because listen to me the harvest is ready you hear me look at the world right now it's ready the soil's been toiled people are scared people are confused people are looking for answers all of their false gods are starting to fall down they're scrambling for something they are ready for the truth we just need workers, right? Jesus said that. So, how to be unashamed. Number one, show him. Show him. You want to be unashamed? Show him. Who's him, you think? God. How do you live unashamed? Here, and I put it here, be holy. That's simple. What does that mean, Todd? It means do what he told you to do and stop doing what he told you not to do. Quit using grace as your get-out-of-sin-free card. I've said it before and I'll say it again. Guys, it is not, if you have that thought that goes through your head that it's okay, Jesus died for it, then you are, you are twisting something. You are to kill that part of you. You want to be unashamed, you have got to show him. Live your life like it's real. You want to know a simple thing? If in your mind you know in that moment it's wrong, then you have the power to choose to do right. You hear what I'm saying to you? The very fact that that's something inside you that's called the Holy Spirit has told you it's wrong. Whether it's wrong to do or wrong not to do, that is a sign that God is telling you to be unashamed and follow him. You, be, you want this to be real? Then show him it's real to you. Jesus said that. Those that are really my disciples, what? Yeah. Well, what? Yeah, man. Well, do as I do, right? Paraphrase, but that's it. That's why, we, again, I say this every week because we are missing something because we don't use disciple in our modern culture very often. But if, if you actually saw a rabbi with his disciples, you would really get what Jesus is saying when he says, are you my disciple? You follow him everywhere. You do what he does. You speak as he speaks. You eat when he eats. You clean when he cleans. You do what he does. You are imitating his life. So let me ask you, in this room, you don't need to raise your hand, this is for you. Are you really living as a disciple? Can you honestly say you're going where he went, doing what he did, speaking how he spoke? Are you? Because I don't. But I believe that he's empowered me to do that. 
And I believe he's empowered you to do that. And I believe if the world sees that, they're going to start going, right? God's going to go, they were what? You've been faithful with a little. I can entrust you with a lot. You hear what I'm saying? That's when world changers happen. I believe that. So one, show him. Two, show them. Who's them? The world. Show the world. How do we do that? Well, part of it is, it all builds on itself. If you show him, the world's going to go, man, something's different about her. Something's different about him. Why do they live that way? And instead of being ashamed about it, you say, oh, the reason I don't do that is because I follow Jesus and he changed me. The reason I don't punch that guy in the mouth when, when I want to is because God changed me and he forgave me. Right? When I punched him in the mouth. You see what I'm saying? But then it is, you show them, wow, you love radically. You stop living selfish. Guys, there is a, I don't like using the word spirit of selfishness. That's all, you know, it gets twisted sometimes in churches. But there is a pattern of selfishness in the modern church today. You guys don't get it. You've been infected with what I call Americanism. You think that everything is about you. That's why you jump from church to church. That's why you don't find a church home. That's why you don't commit to things. It's because it's about how you feel that day. And I'm not trying to be mean to you. It happened to me too. I still have that. It's not about you. Loving people radically is not loving when it's convenient. It's not loving when you want to. It's loving all the time. Well, Todd, what do you mean? Well, I can tell you. Here's a list. Start here. Love is patient. Love is kind. Love keeps no record of wrongs. Love does not delight in evil, but rejoices in the truth. Love endures all things, bears all things, believes all things. Do you do that? I don't. But what if I did? What does that show my friends? Because they're going to notice. I love so imperfectly, guys, but there's been a few times in my life they're like, why are you doing that? Right? Why are you doing this? Because somebody did it for me. Jesus did it for me. Let me tell you about him. That's a hint. It's coming next. Love radically. To forgive like you've been forgiven. We live in this, guys. We are in this insane time. Where something, you know, this isn't, I'm about to say something unpopular. and, And stop thinking you know what I'm saying. It can be anything. Someone does something wrong and we want them destroyed. Someone does says something wrong and we want to cancel them. Someone says the wrong thing at the wrong time and we want to delete them. Is that what Jesus does? Does Jesus give to people the way he got? If so, we're in trouble. He didn't. You know, Jesus says some incredible things about being forgiven. He says, right, he gives all these parables. He says, those who, forgi- those who have been forgiven much, forgive much. See, some of you in this room don't, you've, you've sort of forgotten what you were before Jesus and how much he's really forgiven you. Well, Todd, I wasn't that bad of a guy. Well, when you start saying what he says, you have anger in your heart towards your brother, you might as well have killed him because I view it the same. It's murder. You have lust for that woman, you already slept with her. With that guy, you already slept with him. You're just, you're an adulterer. Because when the standard's perfection, it doesn't matter where you fall on the line. What does forgiveness look like? Why do we do that? Do you forgive? Or are you like me sometimes in my flesh, especially the way I was raised, right? Sometimes from the south, right? And it's all eye for an eye, literally. Like you punch me in the eye, I'm going to punch you in the eye. That kind of mindset. 
I used to delight. There's probably a part of me that likes when somebody gets what's coming to them, right? That's so evil. That's truly an evil thought. Because what I should be doing is hoping that God redeems them, right? Like he redeemed me. Show them. Be set apart. The Bible talks about that. That means here's all the dishes that I use when it's just me and the family. And here's the fine china that I bring out when it's the fancy people, right? Stay with me. Be the fancy plates all the time. Make people look and go, why are you different? Why are you different? Why do you do that? I had a buddy after college during my testimony, um, one of my best friends. I, I used to call him a robot. Like we, we fought all the time, all argued, but he was literally one of my best friends. And uh, we still don't agree on almost anything, um, except we love Jesus. But you know what happened? Crazy story. I told you, you guys are going to have to ask me sometime. When I lost my license, when it was taken from me from a crash, and I had to pay $4,000 when I was homeless. Isn't that crazy? I already gave you something. Anyway, he came to me. He was saving for a wedding. He was getting married that summer. Girls, you ever save for a wedding? You ever have money for a wedding? Did it ever make you nervous? Were you nervous about the money? Then get ready. What happened? Now picture your fiance's best friend comes up, shares it with him, and your fiance gives him the majority of the money in your account. Because he gave me $2,000. He gave me $2,000 knowing I had no way to pay him back. Do you think his fiance was very happy with him? No, she still doesn't like me, right? I did pay him back. But here's my point. Even then, I still to this day, guys, I, I'm a Christian and I still think he's different. I promise you, when I think of him, my mind goes to that. It makes me want to cry. That guy set a standard for me that until I meet that, I'm not set apart at all. That guy, I mean, think about that. Like, get, be different. That's different, isn't it? It's different to give all your money away. And literally, he knew I couldn't pay him back. Pay when you can. And I know she was mad because she gave me the stink eye every time I was around. <laughs> right? I'm, I get a cheeseburger at McDonald's. She's like, hmm, can afford a cheeseburger. Right? It's the truth. Be set apart, and here's the thing, I have another, this is not going to be there. Be set apart, and this is so, so important, and have a reason why. Because they're going to ask you. And this is really, so, you, all, so far many of you are like, I can do that, Todd. This is where I start losing you. Now, have a reason. Are you willing to tell them it's because of Jesus? Jesus makes me this way. I do it to honor him. I do it because he changed me. Let me tell you about him. Guys, Preaching the good news always involves Jesus. If not, it's just news. Which leads me to number three. Shout it. Preach the gospel. Now, I already got some of you. You introverts. You know what you're doing? You're using the Mother Teresa or whatever quote. I don't remember who it was. Preach the gospel and if necessary, use words. That's good. I get it. I think if you use it the right way, which means show, show it, right? Don't just be talk, show it, that's good. If you're using it to excuse the fact you never actually use your mouth to tell people about Jesus, you're missing the point, right? Can you imagine the Gospels, are, like the New Testament would be much shorter if it just said, and Paul walked around like he knew Jesus. You see what I'm saying? No, he, he told them. 
So here's the convicting things. I want you to write it down in your phone right now. Make a note. Think about it. How many people in the last week have you talked to about Jesus that weren't in church? How many people in the last month have you talked to about Jesus that weren't convenient? How many people in the last three months, four months, five months? This is where I'm going to get some of you. How many in the last year even? How many in the last two years? How many in the last five years have you actually went out and preached the gospel? You want to know why you don't? Because you know it might cost you some friends. But that's okay. As long as they're your friends until judgment day comes and then you're going one way and they go another. Preach the gospel. You want, the, you want God to do wild things? You've got to tell people. <laughs> Look, at, it says, I'm eager to preach the good news. He's in chains and he's telling people. Some of you, I get it, guys, listen. The majority of my family are not Christians. I did not grow up in a Christian home. The majority of my family are not Christians. I have went back and forth on how to do this. I went right away. I was a guy that's like, you're sinning. Quit it. You know how that is. You ever go through that thing? They, they don't get that either. Then I went to the thing of like, I'll just show them and I'll preach it without words, right? And then that's not completely good either because then I just wanted it to be easy and I didn't want to argue. But you know what's crazy? I have cried because I will sit up here on this stage and preach the gospel to you every week. And there are my, some of my family members I haven't sat down and told about Jesus. Oh, I'm real bold when I'm looking at a crowd of people who are expecting me to tell them about Jesus. How unashamed am I when I'm sitting at the kitchen table? That's where you show whether you're unashamed. Your coworkers, well, I can't. I HIPAA prevents me from doing that. Whatever, I don't know, whatever. The, I'm not saying don't respect the laws in the land, but you have opportunities. You have opportunities. People don't understand. I am a walking testimony to the fact that I grew up in America with you. I grew up in the Midwest with you. I was surrounded by Christian friends, my best friends. It was the weirdest thing. God led me. I had two groups of friends, right? Um, my other, my, I had my, what I call, I don't know what you, we want to call ourselves. My, I had my athlete friends. I kind of hopped around and then had them, huh? Okay, I wasn't going to say it. Nerd friends, okay? We're all nerds. Right? I'm a nerd, I could say it. I got my athlete friends, my nerd. My friends, I had one friend who was a nerd. I'm a nerd too, so I can say that. I've already offended everyone. And he was a Christian. He's in the room right now. We'll get to him. And then I had a group of them, right? Four or five guys that went to church. They grew up in good Christian homes. They never one time told me about Jesus. And they're good people. I should have known. I am telling you to your face. I was old enough. I was 17, 18 when I came to know him. I didn't get the gospel. Nobody explained to me the idea of sin is a nature. I thought it was the bad things, and I couldn't stop doing bad things, so I couldn't be saved. Nobody told me. Think about that. And even when I got invited to hear it, he'll tell you himself, right? Go talk to Jack. He'll tell you. He thought I was already saved. You know why? Because on the outside, I looked pretty good. But I had no clue who Jesus was. And I know my friends loved me. I'm not saying they didn't. I'm not trashing them. But they didn't tell me. I couldn't just, I just was like, oh, yeah, they're really good guys. That's all I thought. No, tell me. Tell me what happens if I don't put my faith in Jesus. Tell me about hell. Tell me about separation. Tell me about love. Tell me about healing. Tell me about transformation. Tell me about purpose and peace. Tell me about joy. Tell me what these things are. 
Tell me that there's something that is going to fill that hole that I lay at night looking at the ceiling wondering why don't I feel complete. Tell me. Have you told anyone? And I have this on there, right? Preach the gospel. If you don't tell them, who will? There's a beautiful verse about that. I will ruin it if I try to tell you. I don't have the top of my head, but he says, you know, how will they know if no one will tell them? No, no matter where you're at on Calvinism or not, whatever, either way where you land on this stuff, which, by the way, if you don't know what it is, good. It's stupid. But you still are supposed to tell people. You're still supposed to tell people either way. And this is the most important thing, and I tell you as a guy old enough to remember, and some of you in the room were too, it saves them. My friend saved me for eternity. You understand that? My eternity is secured because someone loved me enough to tell me the truth. Stop viewing it as a social club. Stop viewing it as, well, it's life enhancement. Christianity is not life enhancement. You understand that? Christianity is life transforming. Have you told anyone? So, show him. Show them. Shout it. You like that? That's good. S's. Literation. Guys, I'm tired of being ashamed. She's going to come play some music. I'm tired of being ashamed. I'm going to ask you a question. You don't need to raise your hand. Are you? Are you tired of being ashamed? I know it's hard. Guys, that's why we need each other, by the way. See, some of you are like, oh, I don't live ashamed, but I don't go to church because I only do it when I feel like it. It's all connected. It's some, isn't it crazy? God actually knows what he's talking about when he says we need each other, when he says that we should worship together, teach each other, admonish each other, rebuke each other, that we need each other, and yet we still want to make excuses like, man, my big toe hurts today. I just I can't do it. I am emotionally overwhelmed to go to church today. Sometimes I say I'm about to soften the blow. I'm not going to. Anyway. I'm tired of being ashamed. Are you? I've said this before. I don't know. There's probably 90, 100 people in this room right now. I haven't got the full count. How many? What would change if all of us lived unashamed? Just us. What could we change? I always think of like an asteroid, right? You ever see those slow motion? It hits and it's like a shock wave. That's what we can be. And if there's these little asteroids hitting all of our spheres of influence, then we're going to make some big change. I'm tired of being ashamed, both in the way I live and the way I speak, and more importantly, by what I don't speak. You hear me? Do you want to be bold? Do you want to be like Paul and be able to look at someone with shackles, right? And then I'm reading about your life going, Oof. Oof, that Kaylee, did you see her? She's crazy, right? Do you want to be unashamed? Do you want to see a living, powerful faith that impacts the world? I believe, I believe him. I believe that he's the same. I believe it's us that gets blinded and forgets that this God that split the Red Sea, right? That this God that killed a giant with a slingshot Right, That this God that took this small people and protected them forever, this God that took a fisherman and made him a rock, this God that does this is my God. He's your God. And the world more than ever needs the hope that can only be found in Jesus Christ. Do 
you want to see a living, powerful faith that impacts the world, then it's time for the church and us to stop making excuses and start living like lions. It's going to have a cost. I wish I could tell you it wouldn't. I do. It will have a cost. But I know how the story ends. And we win. It's time to be bold and unashamed. The world needs it. I'm tired of being about talk. I want to be about action, right? I want to be about really doing this and seeing what God can do. Do you? What do you need to do to show that you're unashamed? What do you need to do to start living a life that's unashamed? What do you personally need to do? Because each one of us has something. Is there something you need to stop doing? Is there something you need to start doing? Which one of these three areas I simplified do you already know? I, I don't, I'm not living unashamed in that area, but I, I could be better. Are there things in your life that you need to repent of, that you need to let go of your pride? Listen, if you ever put your desires above what God says, you already got a problem. Somebody's got to sit on the throne. It's you or him. You don't share it. I don't know where you're at today, guys. I know some of you are hurting. I know some of you have become scared because life has, has punched you. And, and, man, the cost has been great. I get it. I do more than you know. But I also know that if any part of the story is true, then it's all true. And I know that God is good. He is your Father. He loves you. We're not ashamed. We don't have to live ashamed. We're not prisoners. That we can have a life with meaning and purpose. And we can have a church that changes things. I don't know where you're at. But you can leave today different. If you're in the room and, and you don't know Jesus, then I bet a lot of your life is characterized by shame. Shame of the things you've done. Shame of the things you're doing. You can't forget all those mistakes. You're haunted by all of it. And that's why you run from thing to thing to thing, right? The next pretty face, the next handsome guy, the next bottle, the next pill the next sport, whatever else it is that you run to. And it's always empty, right? That's because it always will be. The gospel is really simple, the good news. So I got to start with the bad news first. God created everything perfect, and he put us in it, and he said we get to be his image bearers. We're kings and queens to rule in his name and point people to him. That's it. And he said, you get to do all of this, but I'm God and you're not. That's the deal, okay? I tell you what right and wrong is. And we said, no, we want to do that. You still do that today. I do that today. And so because of that, there's a separation. Sin entered the world. That's both a disease. You've heard me say it. I'm so remnant folk. It's that thing inside of you you can't fix, and it's the actions that come out of it. Hate and murder and lies and all of that stuff. And for thousands of years... We've seen what happens to the world when the creation wanders from the creator. It's a mess. We were guilty. The Bible says that we had stored up wrath for ourselves, that we were enemies of God, that he was going to give us justice. We were guilty. And we had no way to pay our debt except death. And so God did something incredible. When we couldn't bridge the gap, the gulf to him, he came to us. And God became man, Jesus Christ, Jesus of Nazareth, he existed, and he lived a life and told us of something different, told us the way life was supposed to be, a life filled with love, peace, joy, caring, community, friendship, family, all those beautiful things in life that, that we look for. And 
he said, you can have that again. Turn away from the way you've been living. Come back to God, and I'm going to give you a way to go home. And so what happened is Jesus died on the cross. Fact. And on the cross, he took the weight of your sin and my sin, our mistakes, our judgment, our punishment, and he offers us the benefit of his perfect life. There's a transaction that occurs. I'll take your mess and I'll give you all my holiness. And he was raised from the dead three days later. It's a fact. And if we put our faith in him and we trust him and we let him pay our penalty and we get the benefits of life, then we can be restored to God. And the Bible tells us that the Holy Spirit comes inside of us. It's sealed. No one can take it away that we are forever saved and we begin to become transformed into the very likeness of our creator. We become where we're meant to be. All the rough edges get rubbed off. And then someday he's going to fix it all, wipe away every tear. And there'll be no more crying or pain or death anymore. Isn't that beautiful? And so how do you get that? The Bible says if you confess with your lips, it's always about saying stuff. Isn't that funny? Because that we, we confess with your lips and believe in your heart that Jesus Christ is Lord, was raised from the dead, and you will be saved. So today, if you don't know Jesus, you can't say with 100% certainty that you put your faith in him, not your own actions, not the actions of others, not your own good deeds, then don't leave here without doing that. There's going to be people up here willing to pray with you about anything, including that. Whatever you do, don't leave the same you came in, because if you do, you are choosing to. 